morning we're going to continue in our series, Kingdom Come, as we look at the parables of Jesus and evaluate, in terms of our own life, how he would have us to live. Because the goal is that as individuals, we would be learning to live more and more like Jesus. And as we individually look more like Jesus, collectively, we as his uh, body, this, this outpost here, this lighthouse in Lewis County, would come to look more and more like him. Today, we're going to be talking about a father. A good father is a good thing. I think I've got a picture here of my dad uh, somewhere, maybe. Yeah, there's my dad, and uh, it's my little brother on the right, and me. And uh, uh, I'm not sure what this was at. I do know we hadn't just come from a male modeling shoot. I'm pretty sure it wasn't, pretty sure it wasn't that. But a good dad's a good thing. And my dad was a good dad. Certainly not a perfect dad, but uh, those of us who have been fathers, our fathers know that, that, that we have our imperfections. And a good dad is a, is a good thing. I'm also aware that in here this morning, there are probably people who didn't have good fathers, that had broken fathers, that maybe had abusive fathers fathers that hurt. Because of that, a lot of people struggle with the idea of a heavenly father. For those of us that had um, pretty good childhoods, it's sometimes hard for us to grab, grab a hold of that fact. But if you, if you didn't have a good dirt, uh, earthly dad, it's, it's sometimes hard and you kind of transpose that on God and say, can a father be good? This morning we have the story of a really good father. Uh, this is perhaps my favorite parable of all the parables. It's probably one of the most familiar parables as well. And the reason I love it so much is because I've always liked it. It's a dad and two sons, uh, so it connects with me. But I, I really love it because I think this is a parable for our times. I think this is a parable that the world needs to hear right now. And this is a parable the church needs to live out right now. Uh, and we're going to explain a little bit about that this morning. This is a very, very familiar parable. In fact, you don't have to have, you don't even need to have grown up in church to have heard the parable of the prodigal son, right? Uh, so much so that, you know, prodigal son is, is a phrase that we even use in secular culture. But hopefully this morning, maybe you gain some new insights into this parable as we look at it. Out of respect for God's word, why don't we stand? We're in Luke chapter 15, and we're looking at verses 11 through 32. Jesus continued. Remember, we're, we're looking at, we've been, we looked at two parables last week about lost things, a lost sheep and a lost coin. And this week, we get the most personal of the lost stories, a lost son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and it began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set back out, or I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and you. 
I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion on him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You may be seated. Let me start with a question that I kind of want all of us to kind of play around with a little bit in our head this morning. The question is this, who am I in this story? Am I the younger son or am I the older son? If you're like some of us, you probably had a little bit both in your existence. Am I the younger son or am I the older son? I believe that Jesus told this story very strategically. Uh, And we miss a lot because we don't think carefully about this story oftentimes. He is speaking to two very different groups when he tells this parable. He knew who was listening to him. These groups are very different, particularly in their own eyes. They view themselves as being wildly different, but they are also very similar. More on that in a bit. But in order to fully understand this story, I think we need to go right back to the first two verses of this chapter. Luke 15, verses 1 and 2. We read this last week, but I think we need to read it again so that we clearly understand who Jesus is speaking to. Look what happens here. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So who do we have here? We have sinners. We have the tax collectors and these uh, who were just thieves. They uh, were collecting money for Rome, but they were gleaning off the top. They were robbing, robbing from their brothers. We know there are two groups present as Jesus tells the parable of these two sons. One is this broken group of people, tax collectors and sinners. Maybe we can call them the permissive group. The group that breaks the rules, the obvious sinners, the ones who are sleeping around, the ones committing adultery, the ones who openly flaunt the Ten Commandments. But we have another group that's standing a little further back and watching, and that's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're the legalists. 
the ones who enforce the rules. The parable starts this way. There was a man who had two sons. For my whole life, I've called this the parable of the prodigal son. In fact, you've probably heard it called that, the parable of the prodigal son. I don't think that's the title Jesus had in mind. A better title, I believe, is the parable of the two sons. You see, Jesus was strategic. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15. The Pharisees and the legalists are there. The sinners, the tax collectors are there, and they're all listening. He was speaking to sinners. The permissive who had made poor ethical and moral decisions their own life have pro- had probably had public falls from grace, were probably shunned, were broken. Perhaps you would define them as liberal. He was also speaking to the leading religious authorities who were there. Wait for it here. Also sinners. Judgmental, looking down their noses. Maybe they were the conservatives of the time. The younger brother represents the permissive, the older brother, the legalist. All of us, like I said, at one time or another, maybe have fallen into one of these camps. When I was in high school, I was a goody two-shoes. Nobody says that anymore, so that shows, nobody says goody two-shoes anymore. I don't know where that came from, but I... I was sort of the kid that followed all the rules. I was a rule follower, and I'd look at other kids and be like, ah, you know, thank goodness I'm not them. Uh, when one of the girls in high school got pregnant in high school, I was pretty judgmental. And then I went off to college, and on a dime I flipped. And the sins I looked down to my noses at, I now was committing. During both periods, by the way, I was distant from my father in heaven. In one case, I looked right. In the other case, I looked wrong. But in both cases, I was distant from the father. The series is called Kingdom Come. It's about giving our community a taste of God's kingdom as we live out our mission here at this church. And so as we gather together today, we need to recognize that in this story, we probably find ourselves at one time or another. And if we're going to be this kind of kingdom people in Centralia, Chehalis, Lewis County, it's going to be dependent on us not engaging in permissiveness. There's a lot of permissiveness going on in society right now. There's all sorts of things going on under the banner of sexuality and the like that that are just permissive and are going to lead to more broken people, more hurt people. And as we see that going on, the tendency is to want to embrace legalism, right? Sort of the the gut response. But I would argue that neither are helpful, and instead we should model the grace of the Father in this story. God looks out and sees people, older brothers and younger brothers, both who have been damaged by unrestrained sin. We need to speak to both people, and we need to model Christ-likeness to both. First off, we have to recognize the destructive nature of sin and permissiveness. Sin always destroys. It may feel good for a while. It may be exciting for a while, but in the end, it leaves nothing but death and destruction. 
Verse 12, the younger brother said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In Jewish tradition, it was not wise to hand out your inheritance too soon. I, I could make the argument that in our culture, it's also not too wise to hand out your inheritance too soon. You might need it. The father here violated that principle. It's interesting. We can understand why this might not seem wise. What if the estate shrinks and nothing's left? This, by the way, in the culture at the time, the older brother would have gotten two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother would have gotten a third of the inheritance. So in the custom of the day, in some ways, depending on what happened to the, the estate, the father may have been robbing from the older brother or taking from the older brother to give to the younger brother. It's interesting here, one of the things that's interesting that I don't think we pay a lot of attention to in this story is the reality that when the younger son comes and asks, the father doesn't seem to push back at all, does he? The father seems to just give it to him. It appears to be a father who values free will, who is generous. The younger son soon leaves the safety and protection of his father and heads off uh, to this far-off land where, according to the, the Scripture, he embraces this wild, reckless lifestyle. We know from later on in the story that he was engaging with prostitutes, that his sin ran deep, that he squandered everything he had. Some of you sitting here this morning go, I know that person because I've been that person. Maybe you're here recovering. And you know what? I'm glad you're here. Centralia Community Church has a place for you. One of the things I realized as I was preparing this message was that my pursuit of pleasure in an unrestrained way is often subtle, but always moves me away from God. I've been a person in my own life who's done that. I think there's still a temptation and a draw to pursue pleasure. The Greek, word, uh, the Greek words that are used here for wild living mean reckless and wasteful. It was a reckless and wasteful way of living. Folks, we live in a day where reckless and wasteful ways of living are not only embraced, but they're even glorified in some circles. We glorify sin. I was reading recently about the fall of the Roman Empire. And historians oftentimes use uh, four Latin words to describe some of the cultural influences of the day that led to the collapse of the Roman Empire. The first word they use is ambitio. Ambitio. Which you can probably guess means this unbridled ambition. You know, in the Western world... We struggle with the sin of unbridled ambition, don't we? We actually teach our kids that you need to get ahead, but sometimes we teach them that you need to get ahead at all costs. Ambition can be dangerous because in ambition, we oftentimes put ourselves ahead of God. In fact, in ambition, oftentimes we run the risk of becoming 
God in our own lives. The next word they use is avaricia, which means avarice or extreme greed. Folks, we live in a time of greed. Or oftentimes we fail to realize, particularly in this Western world, how blessed we are with resources. I know things are getting difficult right now. But we're still a blessed people. We are still a blessed people. The third word was interesting to me, luxuria, which you can probably guess means this pursuit of luxury. Uh, We live in a world where we pursue luxury, don't we? Uh, There's nothing wrong, I would argue, with having nice things. The challenge with nice things in our life is it's easy for them to quickly become the focus of who we are. And so that was a brokenness that led to the fall of Rome. And then the final, and I think this probably speaks clearly to this younger son, is libido, this unrestrained lust for physical, sexual pleasure above everything else. Ambitio, avaricia, luxuria, libido. Does any of this sound like the culture we live in right now? The culture of the younger son? By the way, I'm good at seeing these things in other people. I'm sometimes blind at seeing them myself. Remember during the housing boom of the early 200s, we had a fine house up in the Olympia area, uh, but my wife and I decided we needed a finer house. Um, And so we bought a finer house. It's actually one of the, the regrets of my life. I learned a lot of lessons with the finer house. And we kind of decided after that point that we were going to live a little more modestly and use our resources for other things, including blessing others. This young prodigal lives this reckless life. He's a bit like Rome. He collapses. He winds up working for a guy on his pig farm, and he hungers for the slop, the pig slop. That's kind of getting bad, isn't it, if you're wanting the pig slop, right? Some of us know this feeling of desperation where we've come to the end of the line. Nothing is working for us because of our bad choices, because of our broken choices, and we're just, we're not what we should be. And we recognize we've come to the end of the rope. Look what he says here in verse 18. He says, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went out to his father. It's interesting. I like that. What he, he does something there, by the way, that I think a lot of us have done. Have you ever made horrible, horrible decisions? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> That's me. Uh, have you ever made horrible decisions? And they've placed you in broken relationship with other people. And you realize that at some point you need to go back to the people who you've wronged. And so we play out this conversation in our head of how we're going to talk to them. What we're going to say. Look, I screwed up. I'm so sorry. I know I don't deserve. And that's, that's what this son starts to do here. And this is where the story gets really, really good. 
Because what we find out that this is really a parable about the mercy, grace, and love of God. About a father who takes us back. Part of me wonders if this son was fearful about going back. You know, he'd taken a big chunk of his dad's money, he'd blown it and wound up destitute. And so, you know, he's probably not anticipating a meal of fatted calf. He's probably anticipating a dinner of crow, right? You think about it? In his head, he's probably thinking, I'm going to have to go back and explain all I've done. This younger son, we clearly, clearly at this point, is both contrite and repentant. And something beautiful happens. He's moving towards his home, the home he abandoned, the home he ran away from, the home he probably thought was boring and broken. And then we get this line. While he was still a long way off. It's almost like this father has never given up. To see somebody a long way off, you have to be using a little bit of your attention, a little bit of your focus, don't you? It's almost like this father is looking for this younger son. How beautiful is that? He's looking out across his fields and way off in the distance he sees somebody. It's his boy. It's his boy. Some of you came to church this morning thinking, should I be at church this morning? I've done some ugly things. I've done some ugly things this week. I've done things I'm horribly embarrassed about, and if other folks know, I'd be even more embarrassed. I've done things that have cost me my mental health, and they've cost me my physical health. I've done things that have destroyed relationships. I carry a deep sense of shame and embarrassment. I feel like I'm a long way off from God. Well, here's the good news. We serve a God who sees you when you're a long way off. Right? He's looking for you. He's looking for you. And, and what does it say he, he, he does? He sees his son, this messed up kid, and it says he's filled with compassion. He doesn't see the brokenness. He doesn't see the messiness. What does he see? He sees his son. And then it says this. He ran to his son. Folks, if you're broken today, you have a God who sees you a long way off and wants to run to you. He wants to run to you. He loves you so much. Romans 5, 6, and 7 say this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still broken, while we were still messed up, while we were still mired in sin, while we were still ugly, Christ died for us. 
And like the parables we looked at last week, a party is thrown. God throws a huge party. He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Um, this week, uh, I, I just did a little random quiz with some of my friends, and I asked them what prodigal meant. And most people will say, and in fact, I believed it before I studied this years ago, that the word prodigal means like a wayward. Somebody that's wandered and gone astray. That's a prodigal. You can look it up in the dictionary. The, the, the word prodigal actually comes from the same word, root word we get prodigious, interestingly enough. And it means somebody who spends resources freely and extravagantly. Some would say almost recklessly, or someone who gives away on a lavish scale. That's the meaning of the word prodigal. Years ago, Tim Keller wrote a book where he called it, and uh, he called the book actually Prodigal God. It's actually about the prodigal son. It's a pretty good book. But he says, maybe we should call this story Prodigal God, because this is a story of a God who is prodigal, who is prodigious in his love and mercy and grace, who gives it away lavishly. God is saying, you're mine, I love you, I celebrate you, what I have is yours. It's interesting, one of the things he does, he, he, he gets the, the big fat cow ready, but you know what else he does? What's he put on his son? Anybody know what he puts on his son? His robe. Puts his robe on his son. In a way, you know what he's saying? You're mine. What's mine is yours. I am clothing you in me. In Galatians 3, 26 and 27, Paul says this, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. You have a son, you have a heavenly father, rather, who comes and clothes you in his son. When, when he looks at you, he sees his son if you accept his mercy. When we return to Jesus, we're covered by Jesus, clothed with Jesus, we're fully his. 1 John 3, 1, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. What a happy ending. Except, look at what happens. We have the older son. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who had squandered your property with prostitute comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. You gave him a cow. You didn't even give me a goat. My son, the father, said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, follow me on this. The sin of the older brother actually is the same as the sin of the younger brother. The sin of the older brother is the same sin as the sin of the other brother. 
Like the younger brother, the older brother wanted the father's things without a relationship. Think about that for a second, right? How did the younger brother get the father's stuff? Oh, he just went and asked. He said, Dad, give me your stuff. And then he went out and lived wastefully. And it destroyed him. And it hardened his, it broke his heart. The older son, perhaps a little more clever. What does he do? He follows all the rules. He's going to follow every little rule. And if he follows every rule just right, maybe he can get the father's stuff. My brother, he hung out with prostitutes, and you never even gave me a goat. Here's a a fact that I've had to come to. It's been a little hard for me to come to in my own life. God's taught me this one the hard way. The fact that somebody else is a sinner doesn't exclude the possibility that I'm also a sinner. One of the things I'll do is I'll kind of look down my nose on people and go, "Ah, well, there but by the grace of God. You know, right? And in doing so, I become enormously blind to a reality that rule following will never get me to the Father. I mean, even the Father's response is, he goes, son, everything I have is yours. It's all yours. Why are you worried? I love you. These two men are opposite sides of the same sin coin. God's law is good. It protects us. Imagine how the world would be right now if everybody followed God's precepts in regards to how we should live and how we should treat one another with our lives. It'd be paradise. Yet we're not called to enforce the law. Judgment belongs to the Lord. Remember the father, he let the son go. We don't get to make citizens arrests. And oftentimes when we do that, we tend to make up a lot of rules that aren't even in the Bible. Uh, a lot of you, one of my heroes of the faith is Elizabeth Elliot, uh, the famed missionary whose husband was, was killed in the mission field. Uh, Elizabeth Elliot tells a story. Um, she recounts a, a dialogue between, uh, from, found in a manuscript between a, a second century religious student uh, and his teacher. Student says, I'm earnest about forsaking the world and following Christ, but I'm puzzled about worldly things. What is it I must forsake? And the teacher in this dialogue wrote back, colored clothes for one thing. Get rid of everything, your wardrobe that is not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you're sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. To shave is to lie against him who created us, to attempt to approve his work. Some of you guys reading that, you thought that was silly. But we still do the same thing a lot of times. We demand people look like us before they're allowed in. We don't know what happens to the younger... We, we do know, rather, what happens to the younger brother, don't we? The younger brothers celebrate it. And his back is a full child. But the younger brother, God kind of, or the older brother, rather, God kind of leaves that open-ended, doesn't he? A lot of us run to one of those two places. Younger brother, permissive, 
reckless, older brother, rule follower, judgmental. Here's the beauty of the story of this dad and his two sons. You know what? Throughout the whole story, beginning to end, the dad makes it clear he loves both sons. He loves both of them. His desire is for both of them to be in full relationship with him. Maybe you're here today going, you know what? I've been that older brother. I've been a rule enforcer. I've done it with my kids. I've demanded that they live a sin-free life all the while I'm a sinner. I've done it with other folks. Or maybe you're thinking, I'm the reckless one. I wandered, I strayed. I thought I knew better than God. I lived permissibly. God wants both to be in a relationship. We're gonna close now. And we're just gonna close with some, some prayer. And Devin's gonna play right now. We're gonna worship together. But maybe you need to, to come to a new understanding of God this morning. And maybe you need to come to your heavenly father and say, God, forgive me. In some areas of my life, I've, I've been judgmental. In some areas of my life, I've been permissive. Surrender to him. Here's the beauty. The Father is running to you. The Father is running to you. You can run to Him. You can always run 